Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. I've been looking forward to this interview for a really long time with Dr. Darren Slade, who is a professor of history and comparative religion in Denver, Colorado. He specializes in socio-political development of religious belief systems. He is the director of the North American Committee on Religious Trauma Research. And Darren also serves as the president of the Global Center for Religious Research, uh, gcrc.org, and is the founding editor of the peer-reviewed academic journal, Socio-Historical Examination of Religion and Ministry, uh, and it's called the SHRM Journal. Uh, Darren, uh, I have to cite um, one of your pieces that you wrote, <laughs> Leaving Liberty University Behind, My Journey Toward Renouncing the Nation's Largest Christian University. And then you say, in a nutshell, this post is simply my explicit and public disavowal of the ideology and outspoken teachings <laughs> of Liberty University, particularly the Jerry Falwell dynasty that still controls it. And you go on and on as an academic. You explain that they offered you an inexpensive road to a PhD, you, your struggles of integrity versus the indoctrination that you experienced there where people were not allowed to express their own individual thoughts and feelings or their gayness or any number of other things there. Their po politicking, uh, you go on and on. So I really want to hear your story and share it with my listeners. But before I, I ask you to start speaking, I have to tell you, so you know I was in the Moonies, and you know that Moon said he was the Messiah and said that Jesus Christ came to him when he was 16 to finish his, and that Jesus Christ failed his mission. He wasn't supposed to go to the cross. He was supposed to marry and have sinless children, and John the Baptist was supposed to be his disciple, and the Jews were supposed to march on Rome and take over Rome for God. And because Jesus, John the Baptist, failed to bring all of the disciples, and Jesus didn't marry, he had to go to the cross, and the Christians failed, and he basically denounced Christians. And yet, when Jerry Falwell needed a couple <laughs> of million for his university, guess who ponied it up? <laughs> you know, the, no, you're laughing. You have to laugh. Oh, you yes. have to laugh at oh, this. Yeah. But I always, as a Mooney, I was like, Father says that all the Christians are demonic. Why are we working <laughs> with Jerry Falwell and all these Christian pastors for everything? And why aren't they criticizing us for saying Jesus failed? So anyway, that's my... Entry into this fun conversation, but you're also just an extremely accomplished academic and professor. So I hope we can uh, unpack a lot of your journey so that people listening to this who are former members of all types of Bible cults can understand some of the really essential beliefs and historical facts versus mm -hmm. the 
the, the, the stuff. So with that, I'm passing it to Darren M. Slade. Please share. Uh, Dr. Hassett, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, what a wonderful intro to this discussion. If there is anything about the Falwells, it was expediency. Whatever brought their kingdom into manifestation, they didn't care. I remember one time, uh, I don't remember, remember, but I remember reading about Jerry Falwell Sr. having done an interview with, I think, um, Penthouse magazine or something like that, <laughs> and then objected right. to it being in, published in Penthouse, um, stuff like that. So whatever. Yeah. Expediency was always the name of the game, and whatever publicity you could get was okay. Um, how you got to it didn't matter. But I do want to say... I want to clarify something, though. With, with Liberty, um, I got an incredible education from them. It was actually because of Liberty and what I was learning in seminary for my master's degrees and then later in my PhD. Um, but definitely during seminary, it was that that actually got me off of my fundamentalism pedestal and started making me a little bit more moderate and a little bit um, and then during the PhD program, it was not the professors who were very anti any type of uh, alternative theory or beliefs or anything like that. What you find, and I think this is probably universal, but is so many of the students, not all of them, had wonderful colleagues and classmates that were definitely on the same page as me. But many had gone there just to confirm their what they already believed to be true. So anything... What we call confirmation bias exactly. in your article, by the way, psychological principle. Absolutely. Um, and that's what was really disturbing. It was during my apologetic courses that I was seeing that constantly. And so any type of disruption, any hint, or just basic asking questions of the authenticity or the, um, I want to say, kind of the reasonableness of certain evidences being used. Really, if you questioned it, you must not be a believer. And I remember... Mm -hmm. And you came from a Baptist upbringing prior to Liberty? or did, No. Well, no. Okay. Uh, so I had no religious background, but I did convert to Christianity when I was 18. Mm -hmm. And uh, very quickly became a zealot. And was immediately uh, a staunch conservative fundamentalist Christian. So went from being a Southern Baptist to a Reformed Baptist, and I mean, I was a heresy hunter for sure. <laughs> well, you were a true believer. You were a young man in search of what the heck is life about. Like, please help explain and bring some meaning to this chaos. Well, and like all cults, they capitalized on the position I was in life. At, at the age of 18, I was going through a personal crisis of my own and really needed answers, really needed a family. And what I have later looked back on, I say, man, these churches love bombed me into their cult. Yeah, love bombing is a technique. Oh, Darren, you're so special yes. and you're so smart and God has a plan for you, Darren. Yes. You don't realize what a great person you are, but 
We can see you have a whole future. Oh, yes. And and the quick promotions. You rise up to yes. the ranks to become a minister or in charge of whatever ministry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That sucked me in. You made me a leader. Yes. I was never interested in leading. <laughs> I was an introvert. I was a bookworm. <laughs> I was like not interested in religion even. I was interested in philosophy and like making my mark on the world. I was writing poetry. But it was my girlfriend dumping me and three uh, moony recruiters flirting with me and love bombing me that got me oh, into it. Oh, exactly. Yes. Well, so but they didn't say we 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 don't believe in premarital sex or masturbation, and you're going to be in a mass wedding with a stranger and have to abstain for four years uh, as you work, you know, twenty hours a week. I mean, a day. Uh, for the Messiah, we didn't know any of that. It was just like, oh, Steve, <laughs> you're so smart. Well, now, when you were there, did you get trained in different tactics? I mean, I, I assume you proselytized a little bit yourself. Is that right? A lot. Oh. No, I was I was picked by one of the top Japanese leaders that Moon brought over from Japan to militarize the American organization. He was not happy with the American leadership. So I was trained to be a, an absolute fanatic. Interesting. And I was taught to be a lecturer. I was I was an introvert. Put me in <laughs> front of a group, I would have an anxiety attack. But brainwash me into thinking God's going to speak through me. Man, I could be on a stage and just the words would just flow out of me. It was amazing. Etc. Well, so when some of the Mooney recruiters were flirting with you, do you feel like it was an intentional tactic that they knew? Thousand percent, and I went on to do you, it. So, and it's it, the same they victimize you, and then you victimize others. It's like do what we're talking about expediency. The ends justify yeah. the means, because Satan is the god of this world, and we are doing God's work. So, therefore, mm. and and they even go so so far as to say that that Satan lied to Adam and Eve to deceive them away from God. So we have to deceive Satan's children to get them back to God. Oh my goodness. That is so reminiscent of, uh, you know, is Islamism and uh, radical Muslims who will pretend to be moderate, drink alcohol, eat pork or something just to fit in deception in order to commit the jihad. Yep. But listen, you're going to interview me for your podcast. <laughs> I want to interview you because you have an amazing journey and story, and you've helped so many people, and you've built this amazing organization and courses that I just need to make the time, but I want to take your courses because I love to learn. That's Part of my thing is I'm so curious and I love to learn. Well, thank you so much for that. I will not ask you any more questions, and that's probably a lie. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, so talk to us about your journey and what you discovered and how you got to be where you are today and, and the great work that you're doing. Yeah, thanks um, for saying it's great work. Um, I'm blown away about how many people are, are really – kind of waking up and and finding a community of religious trauma sufferers and survivors and learning finally for the first time what's going on with them. So it's been wonderful uh, and such a privilege. So for me, like I said, I was a die once I converted, I was a diehard zealot. 
I lived and breathed everything fundamentalist Christianity. And, um, and also believed I was, you know, part of God's chosen generals for the end time, the blah, blah, blah. And, um, but like you, I'm a major autodidact. I absolutely crave and consume knowledge. I love it. So I went into seminary thinking there's no way Christianity is wrong or anything like that. I'm, but I want to learn the actual stuff. And so I go in to be a professional minister and I wanted to start my own church and blah, blah, blah. But in between seminary stuff just was not fulfilling me in the sense of I wasn't consuming enough. And I wanted to read more journal articles. I wanted to read more scholarship. And for some reason, I got really hooked on learning about cognitive biases and came to learn about the confirmation bias and also cognitive dissonance. So, by the way, cognitive dissonance is the root of my bite model theory. If you didn't realize didn't that. that, Leon Festinger's 1957 uh -huh. book, When Prophecy Fails Thoughts, Feelings, Behaviors, and we want to reduce dissonance so we rationalize or we justify extreme behaviors. So B-I-T-E, I added information control, but it's it's really based on cognitive dissonance uh, I theory. didn't realize that. That's brilliant. It's such a, yes, exactly. Absolutely. Um, well, so I was enthralled with this notion of a confirmation bias and also enthralled with the idea of subverting it or, or, or countering it. How do I keep myself from falling into this trap? And one of the things that you learn is that you don't just go out of your way to prove your beliefs to be true, but you also attempt to falsify it. And that's exactly what I did. Expecting not to be able to do it. Because by then, I was a diehard Christian apologist. I knew just about every argument off the top of my head. Um, and I was overwhelmed. It was a flood of counter evidence, counter evidence, counter evidence from legitimate scholars. I hadn't even realized that so much of the uh, work that was I was consuming were by confessional scholars who had an ideological agenda and quite frankly, were just simply wrong on a lot of things to the point where it was almost as if I was being gaslit, that this is a historical fact and this is true or this, and come to learn the vast majority of scholars don't agree with that or believe that at all. Right. So this leads to a major uh, crisis of faith. And I did everything I could to hold on to my faith. I routinely fasted and prayed and meditated on the Bible and pleaded and pleaded for Jesus to come save me. And I remember one uh, Bible verse in particular, where Jesus talks about one of his sheep being lost in a hole and him abandoning the 99 to go grab this one. And I just kept begging him, please show up, do something. I'm your lost sheep. Do as you promise, please. Yep. And I found that um, the universe was increasingly quiet. <laughs> I'm sorry for I, laughing. I mean, it's the way you're describing it is just like, I've been there. Yeah. I prayed for hours every day in the Moonies to 
be enlightened and to do God's will. And I fasted for seven days twice and many times for three days. And and then when I was deprogrammed and realized, oh, the group is doing Chinese communist brainwashing mm. tactics. Wait a minute, they're Satan, we're God. How come we're doing Chinese communist brainwashing mm. tactics? And then the final straw for me was just realizing Moon was a liar. Mm. And if he was a liar, then he couldn't be trusted and he couldn't be a man of God according to the way the Moonies even taught it in their Divine Principle textbook. but And then then everything just collapsed, yeah. like, all at once, and it was horrifying. Well, you know, I, it was terrifying. I'd be curious to know if your, what happened to your nervous system afterwards is similar to mine, because, you know, looking back on it now, I realize I think I was, in fact, suffering from betrayal trauma. I felt incredibly betrayed by God and by the church yep. and so much. Uh, did you feel that same betrayal? Thousand percent. Thousand percent. Uh, moral trauma, betrayal trauma, mm -hmm. thousand percent. Because I really did everything I was asked to do to follow, put God first, to put the group first, to do to sacrifice my needs. I was asked, get this, so I was asked um, uh, with the the, uh, um, uh, the Abraham and Isaac story, uh, how God asked Abraham to sacrifice the one he loved the most. They said, what is your Isaac, Steve? And I said, I don't know. We think your poetry is. <gasps> Do you love God enough to take your poetry and throw it in the garbage? And I threw out all of my original poetry like 400 pieces and it's one of my biggest regrets because but they did it because they wanted to destroy my yes. identity before the cult yes. who I was before the cult. Oh. So it was it was hard. It was hard. But back to you, my friend. <laughs> so you had you were the true believer, you want and you were taught academic tools to falsify, to think like a scholar, to gather information. Um, and then you, you know, it became overwhelming evidence that there's real problems with staying with that belief system, that kind of all or nothing black and white ideology. And then what? Well, like I said, Liberty gave me a phenomenal education. I can't tell you just how much I learned. And they did provide me the tools to be a legitimate historian and a legitimate mm. thinker, critical thinker. So all I did was I took all the tools that they said I should apply to every other worldview out there, the cults and other religions and everything, right? And even yep. liberal... Christians, right? The ones who aren't quite. Yeah. <laughs> I just applied the same stuff to my own beliefs. Yeah. They gave me the tools. I just used them. Right. But uh, focused inward. Um, having started to really conclude that I was living a lie and it was bullshit. I, um, I remember looking back on so many things that I had been questioning already, for instance, having been in professional ministry, I was always had uh, weirded out that 
people who are coming to church, but also the leaders in the church, my colleagues, other ministers and the pastors and everything else, they acted no different than the rest of the world. And that always perplexed mm. me because I thought we had the Holy Spirit living inside of us that would sanctify us and make us better, right? We should stand out. Yeah. So more cognitive dissonance. And then I said, there's got to be something here. I am going to prove to myself that this really is worth holding on to, even if I have to force it. Um, and the way I'm going to prove that is I'm going to live my life for maybe a few months, up to a year, maybe, as though God doesn't exist, as though to demonstrate, sure enough, there's a marked difference. There wasn't. My life never changed. And you are still a good person. Yeah. You know, the only thing that changed in my life was when I finally came out publicly as an atheist um, was all of the people who said they loved me, all of the people who were my support system, all of them abandoned me and took off and didn't just take off. I am now an apostate. And so they deliberately attacked me and, and uh, persecuted me. And marked you. Yes. Yeah, so that's a telltale sign of an authoritarian cult. Yeah. Because legitimate ethical groups, they, they, they can agree to disagree and they still care about you and they still give you, you have the same right to exist, the same human rights. But when you're in an authoritarian cult, if you, the minute you start doubting or questioning, now you are an enemy. Yeah. You're dangerous to the flock yes. because you might pollute them. Yes. So you have to be isolated and, and labeled and, you, and your status has to be demoted dramatically. It's a very clear t proof text <laughs> that these, pe these people are not demonstrating love and you know or anything we might associate with godly compassion right. and grace um yeah and you know i speak a lot to the to those who leave the church or leave ministry uh who are closeted atheists and the terrifying fear that this almost paralyzing fear of oh my gosh if people found out what i really think and believe I will lose everything. And that's right. actually, that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, my ex-wife at the time and, and her entire family just abandoned my two-year-old daughter and me uh, just to be distance themselves from an apostate. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. It's so tragic. And, um, and I might just jump to the, the politics side of things that um, you know, there are these people who think that they're doing God's will and they have to impose this very authoritarian worldview on the rest of us mm -hmm. and abolish, you know, separation of church and state and abolish everyone else's human rights, whether it's women's rights or children's rights or gay rights or indigenous rights. Nope. 
we are the one true people and therefore we need to dominate everyone else and it's it's really dangerous and um and people need to be able to name it mm. as this is authoritarianism you know in among sociologists the big question is which one is pulling the string what kind of a chicken and egg thing here um is it the politicians who have the agenda of, of whittling back rights and things like that and freedoms for political power and control? Or is it the religious group doing it, kind of pulling those strings? And I remember one of my students asking this just fairly recently, and I said, you know, it has become so blended and so overlapped. I don't know if we can parse it apart anymore because the pol politicians, the political party and the religion seem to be taking advantage of each other. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll vent, we'll venture into this uh, conversation a little bit more because it is so fascinating. Um, so what I learned after I exited the cult and I became an expert witness for a House uh, Congressional House Subcommittee investigation into Korean CIA activities in the United States, um, and I turned over all my internal documents called Master Speaks, where Moon would say things like, we have to infiltrate the government, and, and, and God thinks that democracy is satanic, and 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 things like that. Um, what I came to understand is that back to the Korean War, uh, North Korea still brainwashes its people, total B-I-T-E control. South Korea had two coups, unsuccessful coups, and someone in the CIA said, we need to help South Korea stabilize. So they're gonna, we're gonna set up a Korean CIA and we're going to choose a proxy group to brainwash South Korean dissidents. And they chose my former cult as a front. So we have an example of a state actor, the United States, although I know that it's not all the CIA, that's a covert dark ops branch that think they know everything. And it's fine to do, you know, overthrow democratically elected officials of other countries for America <laughs> and democracy. They they were using the Moonies as a front group to brainwash them. And then when America wanted to leave Vietnam War, they brought them over to the States. And that's when I got recruited. So there's a whole history of intelligence agencies, and I have to add Putin and the former, you know, KGB and Chinese Mao and now Xi using religious groups as fronts, as proxy groups to learn information, to recruit, to disseminate disinformation, etc. And what I learned when I started my doctoral dissertation work, in, and that was just recently in my 60s, I encountered all of these sociologists of religions saying there's no such thing as brainwashing, there's no oh, such thing as mind control. Let's call them new religious movements. Who are we to say 
you know, that they aren't going to be legitimate. And the, these turn out to be all funded by cults <laughs> to do disinformation to confuse people. And, and, and in the meantime, the American Psychiatric Association uh, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, three, four, and the current one is five, always had a category for a dissociative disorder where it talks about brainwashing, mind control, mm -hmm. and cults and a disruption of in, in identity. But there are all these scholars of religion saying there's no evidence that there's brainwashing, and these are happy people who chose to join. And one of the more famous ones, Eileen Barker, made her career saying the Moonies didn't do brainwashing. She knows because she went to a Mooney workshop and didn't <laughs> convert. <laughs> and I said to her, Eileen, when I was a leader and we knew a sociologist was coming to a workshop, we changed the workshop. Oh, no, they didn't do that. I said, oh, yes, we did. Oh, no. And she was paid to go to international conferences extolling how great the Moonies was for decades. Interesting. I would be. So there's this whole, you know, th and, and what I believe is that we need to define religion in terms of public good. We need to define religion as needing to give informed consent if they're recruiting people. Mm. So people know upfront who they are, what they believe, and what to expect from them, and not, you know, heavenly deception or transcendental trickery or any number of other terms that different cults like to use, where people don't know what the heck's happening to their minds and their ability to think gets diminished, and that's when they start telling them more information as they do this indoctrination process. So yeah. for me, if I have my way, the law will get updated, and a whole bunch of groups will lose their tax exemption status immediately, and we'll have all kinds of money to pay off our national debt. <laughs> um yeah, what I hear from you from you is is one of the demarcations between something that is cult of personality and harmful versus more on the legitimate front is is one exploitative and the other outward focused and and beneficial to the people and to the non the outsiders. Yeah. And that's what exactly. that's what's interesting cuz when I heard your story about, you know, the CIA using the Moonies as a front, I hear the same that over that mixture of they're both exploiting each other. They're both and and probably both willing to compromise on core values just to appease the other side. Well, and there are, you know, wealthy, powerful people, whether they're fossil fuel uh, people or arms manufacturers or, you know, uh, other people like that. I'll go one more step further. When the congressional investigation was taking place, George Bush Sr. was the director of the CIA. And the staff director of the investigation said he did everything he in his power to undermine their investigation. Oh. And then uh, when he was president, he got $2 million for a couple of speeches for the Moonies. Oh. I love that. Just <laughs> And by the way, Trump got $2 million for endorsing Mrs. Moon a few weeks after the January 6th 
insurrection coup attempt. Two million. Pence got only 550,000. <laughs> but they both said how great she was and how wonderful the movement was. And I'm I'm sitting here going, I I was at the leadership meetings where they were talking about taking over the government, amending the constitution and making it a capital offense for people who broke the rules regarding the, the marriages and the sexual um edicts of Sun Myung Moon. I was in the I was there with Moon as he said mm. it. Well, you know, immediately what pops to my mind, a, a number of things. You know, you talk about uh, this uh, infiltrating scholarship in academia to publish things like there isn't brainwashing. New uh, religious right. movements is their, right. their rebrand. Those are the term that I use, too. Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, it, it has become the technical term in a lot of ways. Oh, I don't use uh, it deliberately. <laughs> maybe I need to rethink how I'm using it. Well, so I one, I would be curious to know the dates on these types of things because I wonder if it is still a practice being done and if it's still, or if we were, if that's 1970s, 1980s. No, the, the main entity is in Italy called Chesner, C E S N U R dot org. And um, when you interview me, I'll go, yeah. I'll give you more stories about their operations, but they literally are going around saying brainwashing doesn't exist. And mm. these are just disgruntled apostates who, you know, don't, and, and all these critics, you know, uh, and uh, don't listen to them because we know. Because we asked the Scientologists, are you happy? And they said, yeah. <laughs> are you brainwashed? Oh, no. <laughs> well, at all, from the so we, we have the we have the data. <laughs> there, there's no brainwashing. Oh, of course, um, if you can't take the word of an abuse victim, uh, then right. Well, you know, and the other thing, thinking about Trump and Pence, and and I honestly, I can imagine both sides of the aisle are being funded and paid for. You know, I'd be curious to know um, how many of them know what's happening. Is it really just, you know, the almighty dollar and they're going to take whatever money they can get, not realizing that there might be this nefarious kind of subplot that they're being puppeteered? Or are they in on it in a lot? More? Yeah, I, th I agree with your comment about both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans. It isn't just the Republicans. And I cite in the cult of Trump um, a cult called the family. Mm -hmm that Jeffrey Charlotte wrote two books about in a five-part Netflix. And they were recruiting both sides for their agenda. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and as far as, uh, is it ideological? Is it just pure greed? Is it sexual blackmail? Because yeah. they got, you know, videos at Jeffrey Epstein's retreats with underage girls. Um, could be some of this and some of that, but what we really need to start thinking about is planetary survival mm. for all and work backwards from that as a goal instead of the world's coming to an end, so we're either going to go to heaven or we're going to buy an island like <laughs> Sam Bankman Friedman, whatever his name is, was going to buy a, a, an island while the rest of the world was destroyed. Yeah. Huh? Like, or, or let's go to Mars. Let's be Elon Musk and go to Mars and 
hell with the United States, I mean, with the world. I'm like, let's go back to like common sense. Well, but and survival. I think that way bye good- bye a long time ago. The whole, I mean, having any kind of a critical perspective on this, I, I can't tell you how many times. I would hear when I was out in Virginia doing my doctoral stuff, and this was people at the grocery store all the way to, you know, some of my peers in class is, you know, you don't polish the brass on a sinking ship. Um, And that environmentalism is just a new religion. You know, the planet Earth has become God or something. Uh, God already said what he's going to do. Or you would hear literal, you know, conservative politicians in the in Congress say, um, "I just don't believe God will let this planet die. He will come as so." Yeah, wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to. I, I I've been talking way too much. I want you to talk to my listenership, who are former members of Christian and other religious cults who may be still a little bit confused. Maybe there's a part of themselves that still wonders every time there's a report of a flood or an earthquake. Mm. Should I go back to the Jehovah's Witnesses or should I go back to the Mormons or should I go to here or there? Share some more of your knowledge and experience with religious trauma victims. Well, I'm going to hesitate in saying, uh, of advising what somebody should do with their personal beliefs. Okay. Um, Okay. But the big question, is it actually making things better for you Mm -hmm. uh, emotionally and mentally? Or is the scare tactics, are you just living in constant fear or anxiety or depression? Are you grasping for something? But And so is the former church or other place of worship that you were going to, is it actually doing what it should be doing, which is helping you to thrive as a human being? Mm-hmm. I would also tell people, who are confused or have been hurt um, or maybe they're on the verge of just getting out Mm -hmm. and maybe not even out of the religion, out of the faith, but maybe they, they realize that they're in a toxic worship environment, a religious community. You're not alone. You know, we just conducted the world's first most exhaustive sociological study on religious trauma And we found that one in three U.S. adults have had religious trauma at some point in their life. We estimate that one in five, 20% of the U.S. adult population currently suffers from multiple debilitating symptoms of religious trauma. Mm -hmm. Actual trauma symptoms that were caused directly because of religion. Mm -hmm. And... You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to think that you are alone in this because you're not. It's actually quite pervasive. It is a chronic problem. And we're finally pulling back the curtain on this thing. Mm-hmm. And and I come from it with a slightly different angle and just talk about mind control mm. as a mental illness, a man-made, human-made mental illness 
that traumatizes people. So people can be in political cults, therapy yes. cults, and 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 political regimes and large group awareness trainings and with a living with a malignant narcissist partner who's isolating oh. you from your family and friends and everything else. So for me, I see I, I look at it more from psychology mm. and and I maybe I give too much of a pass to religion, uh, but I, I do believe that there are healthy versions of religion as long as you don't like, yeah, you use common sense, your conscience and your critical thinking and not, you know, uh, uh, waiting for the spaceship to come to <laughs> the mountaintop and take you away. <laughs> stuff you know and yeah absolutely speaking as an atheist uh i don't subscribe to any supernatural or religious worldview right. and absolutely religious faith spirituality things like this can and are beneficial when done right yep and that's the problem i'm not so sure i'm talking since the discovery of the western hemisphere that we are even capable in a lot of segments uh, to have a healthy, beneficial type of spirituality because it almost seems like it's in our DNA as Americans having come from uh, the Puritans and the uh, other kind of stuff that we've had built into this country. We, it, it lends itself so much to toxicity. Yeah, and let's not forget we took away the country from indigenous people. Yeah. I mean, we're talking extreme culture, a uh, 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 value conflict. Colonization. No. Yeah. E extreme value conflicts. Yeah. Which, um, so I'm just so what we're coming to discover with religious trauma, it is pervasive and it can be debilitating. Lots of people are hurting from it. And when they finally understand what it is that is happening inside their own nervous system, their body and their brain, yeah, uh, it's really exciting, but also heartbreaking to see that light bulb finally turn on and they go, oh mm. my gosh, this explains it. This explains why I can't stop being angry. Or this explains why I, I can't stop being a people pleaser. Um, and so many things. Yeah, you've been traumatized by your religion. You've been indoctrinated into a pseudo identity mm. is how I you know, would choose to uh, word it. And especially women are told to subject themselves to their husband and there's no such thing as marital rape or... You know, that and any woman who's raped, they asked for it, mm. you know, uh, and all kinds of other just toxic uh, beliefs by predatory people. Um, um, it, it, you know, it's horrible. So, um, and of course, you know, Michael Shermer and the Skeptics Organization, I would assume. I, I interviewed him for his book about conspiracy. This is his last book. Um so, so talk about your courses and your your meetings and what what uh, people who are listening to this going. Maybe this could help me, and maybe it's not my fault. Maybe it was the group or my upbringing, 
its fault. What do we do? Yeah. Um, well, thanks for asking. Um, well, I'll preface this by saying that anybody who wants to know more, uh, the website is gcrr.org forward slash RT, R as in religious, T as in trauma. And mm-hmm. um, so we offer a 32-hour certification program. And what it does, you are listening to the international, the top international scholars on religious trauma who talk about what trauma is, how to identify uh, symptoms of religious trauma, and some of the consequences of it, some, how it's manifesting in terms of our nervous system, our thought patterns, behaviors, things like that. And if you are a clinician, best ways to treat such things. But I also want to say the program is not just for clinicians. Uh, We have those who are still in professional ministry, and this includes rabbis to imams to pastors and priests who are taking it because it also helps them to identify ways ways that churches have created toxic cultures so that they can also prevent it in their own ministries from happening because they genuinely want to serve and love on others, not cause harm. And then, of course, the program is also meant for survivors of religious trauma and those who are currently suffering from it, because it really peels back the layers of what's going on inside of you. So you finally get it, and now you know we tell you a lot of the treatment options for this um, and Mm -hmm. some of the best methods and practices. And then on top of all that, Um, If you get into the program, we also have over two dozen publications that are free for you to be able to download and read. And so just some of the perks of this thing for those clinicians who want to take it. um, We're talking life coaches to social workers and, of course, psychotherapists and whatever else. Um, We are also uh, you also get CEUs for taking the program. Um, And it's. if you want to know more, gcrr.org forward slash RT. So how do you get your funding? Is it <laughs> donations, grants, that people pay for the courses, I assume? Yeah, it's- Talk about that. It's all supporters like you and and the people who have joined our program. Um, quite honestly- Because you have an amazing advisory board, <laughs> international, incredible scholars, and who's written all kinds of books and well, journal art. I mean, it's very impressive. I wish Freedom of Mind Resource Center was could grow up and be like that uh, in terms of its reach. And it's- Well, you know, it's, um, GCRR did not start out trying to do any of this, really. <laughs> or And we actually fell backwards into doing religious trauma. Uh, uh-huh. studying it. Um, we actually wanted to create a platform where the academics, the researchers were taken care of. Cause as you know, uh, oftentimes our publications go without any type of value to us as much. Right. Right. Um, and researchers and academics are exploited quite a bit. So we wanted to create a platform that allowed people, uh, like us, the professionals to be able to get their stuff out there, their research out there without the gatekeepers and um, do so in a way where we promote you and and we really want to take care of our researchers. So when it all started, it was 100% out of pocket for me. Uh, We put, I I 
just paid for all of the research. I paid for everything to get started because we. That's what I'm at. That's where I'm yes. at still. I mean, I mean, it's a labor of love. We, I, but you just believe that this is something that needs to happen because, well, academia, uh, from my perspective, it, it needs a revolution. It needs to be fundamentally revised. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Thanks for saying it's that. It's awesome. No, it's I, I I think it's so incredibly important, and you know you didn't name uh, anxiety disorders, phobias, uh, alcohol and drug addiction, acting out things, suicidal uh, you know attempts because of this traumatic uh, exposure, and because people are trained not to understand social psychology. Mm. They're trained, it's known as the fundamental attribution error in social psychology. There's something wrong with me, mm. and and that's why I'm suffering, versus they were messed up, and they were doing this systematic social influence program for power, money, and sex, uh, and they took advantage of me and my good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. And when you learn that, they too were likely taken advantage of and just perpetuating the same cycle. Uh, yes. It can be liberating to have that compassion and grace while also feeling the betrayal and the hurt. And, you know, so our sociology study did, in fact, uh, we studied six dominant symptoms of religious trauma. And they did include things like depression, anxiety, uh, shame, excessive guilt, uh, some of the areas that we're continuing to research in is how does religious trauma manifest in terms of sexual disorders? Uh, you, oh, yeah. In, inability to orgasm or pain during sex and things like that, right? Um, Not to mention female genital mutilation. Well, of course, yes. Um, maybe even include male genital mutilation <laughs> mm. <laughs> with uh, circumcision. Um, it's interesting just and th those are just the dominant, more obvious ones, like nightmares, you know, uh, a constant perpetual fear that at any second, the Lord is going to return. And if you are caught masturbating, when he shows up, it is. Yeah, I talk about phobia in, in, in installation and um, teaching people the difference between a legitimate fear and a phobia is a huge step in the right direction. I have a whole chapter on it in my Freedom of Mind book. Yeah, It's liberating to be able to go, oh, that's an irrational fear. <laughs> and, the th and the universal, Darren, is you can always see it in another group first of course. before you can see your own, right? Yes. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, yeah. And once you actually turn those tools inward, you know, uh, CNN did a uh, uh, an article that featured us in it, and they were talking about rapture anxiety. And for any listener that doesn't know what the rapture is, it's a dispensational. It's a very new belief in terms of uh, the long history of church history. But about in the 1800s, this belief that Jesus was literally going to show up on a horse and in the clouds, and he was going to all the believers would start floating up into the sky to meet him. Um, and we won't go any further detail about it. That's basically the rapture. Everybody else is going to be left to burn and suffer and be tortured on earth. And I was really shocked 
to encounter so many people who actually had a fear of heights because they were told at any second now they were going to be going into the stratosphere to meet Jesus. Um, it's things like that you just don't realize are going to. Yeah. Um, and now, obviously, I think that the, in the grand scheme, that's going to be rare. But we're seeing when it comes to religious trauma, um, clearly we have the big ones, right? Especially big T traumas, molestation and sex assault, right? Uh, or a, a physical abuse, uh, shunning practices, stuff like that. Big stuff. But what we're finding is it's actually a lot of times it's the more insidious stuff. It is not being able to express your personal identity or your sec your, your uh, political beliefs or your sexual orientation. It is um, being called out for sin oftentimes, right? Mm -hmm. and, and being judged mm -hmm. for it so much. A constant mm -hmm. feeling of guilt and shame. Lots of superstitious taboos around everything. Um, yep. And then more insidious still, doctrinal things, little theological stuff, probably one of the most dominant. And I was shocked by this because I personally don't, uh, was never impacted negatively by these types of beliefs. Um, but now I think about it more and more. I say, my gosh, it does actually make sense. Is beliefs in things like original sin. That mm. you are inherently evil and tainted. And your body is evil. And does like as a mental health professional, I say we're embodied minds. Mm. And that a lot of people have physical ailments and it's just their bodies expressing mm. all of the the damage that's been done to them psychologically. And the and that's that's the thing, is is it is an erosion of your identity right from the start. To believe mm -hmm. that you are deserving of hell and God's wrath right away mm -hmm. because yep. of what some people in ancient Mesopotamia did. <laughs> um, Adam and Eve. Yeah, I grew up Jewish, so I didn't have right. that. And it was a new idea for me, original sin or the notion of demons mm. or was uh, Satan, huh? Satan, what's that? <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to quickly just tell you, I was literally brought with 100 plus other Moonies to watch the Exorcist movie in 1974 at a movie theater in Greenwich Village. And we were then brought up to Tarrytown where the master himself, the Messiah himself said, God made the Exorcist movie. This is a prophecy of what will happen if you leave the Unification oh, Church. gosh. Treat, so. treating Hollywood films like they're documentaries. <laughs> yeah, and but they they yes. that was I, my moment of not trusting any of my thoughts anymore mm. because I was that afraid of demonic possession. I love that movie. Well, I mean, we act, we still actually see very similar tactics. Uh, I can't tell you how many Christians I've run into back when I was myself a believer and 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 as an academic. You know, where things like the the Tim LaHaye's The Left Behind series, right? Right. Or, you know, the late great planet Earth are treated uh, just like the Bible, as though it really is, in fact, predicting the future. And Right. No. <laughs> right. So have you, I assume you have been invited to meet with 
Christians to debate? Have you done any? I would love to hear <laughs> uh, an academic back and forth with you and some some scholar. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, GCRR does a ton of uh, international academic conferences, so we host a lot of these conferences. Oh. In fact, we just had our our most recent religious trauma conference not about a few months ago, and an atheism conference, a historical Jesus conference, all that kind of stuff. So, I tend to do a lot of my debating there as the moderator. After an academic presents their stuff, then we kind of exchange and go back and forth. Oh, I have to go to one of these conferences. Oh, you would soon, love them. So. They're a blast. Um, you know, surprisingly, I I don't debate which is odd because I love debating and arguing. So I should have been a lawyer too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I remember at Liberty, I did, uh, I had two in-class debates with Dr. Gary Habermas, who is the head of apologetics. He's in the apologetics world. He's like a god. And mm-hmm. um, and the students treated him as such, hung on his every word. And I think he really appreciated, but also there were times where I think he, uh, well, I could, I, I, I think I definitely, I made enemies, but I also, I think I, I, you know, stepped on his toes a number of times too, on purpose, um, pushing back on some of this stuff. And so eventually he just said, let's debate. And we actually ended up doing uh, uh, two different debates and two different classes. Um, and I'm really pleased with how well I held my own in the debate with mm. him. Was it videotaped? I there? wish. No, there was no, no record, nothing like that was allowed. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing I do remember, there's actually two interesting things. I remember, I'll bring up three. Because this goes to towards that kind of cult mentality too. Um, right. I remember uh, one point where I was pushing back and and had brought up things like the confirmation bias and stuff and um, cherry picking evidence. And when push came to shove, when he, his only response was, "Well, the other side does it too." Well, the other side mm-hmm. engages in confirmation bias too. You know that what a bit what uh, what ism uh, fallacy yeah. that doesn't make it okay. Uh, you just admitted you're doing that, right? Um, I thought you were <laughs> yes, special. Yes, I thought and we were above different. that. Yeah, right. Uh, I remember another one was throughout our apologetic methodology and historical Jesus stuff. One of the things he pressed and pressed and pressed on us, you can't use the Shroud of Turin as an apologetic thing because there's just too many questions. It's too debatable. Um, and so it just won't stick. It's not as good as a lot of you know laymen want it to be. Mm-hmm. So we get into a debate. And I remember he said... Um, well, I know Darren isn't going to like this, but, and he pulls in because I kept pushing and he couldn't get past what I was pushing. And he finally says, well, the Shroud of Turin and brought it in as an evidence as though as a counter. And I, my goodness, um, I think that that was incredibly telling that, mm-hmm. oh, I think maybe apologetics might be a scam <laughs> that mm. is being sold. I mean, it's a, it's a it's 
um, a great product for true believers. Mm, and I'll re- say yeah. one third thing, uh, kind of going to the maybe a bit of the cult mentality. I remember after I think it was my first debate with him, um, the class and the professor uh, Habermas, we all go out to eat for lunch and um, we get back and I couldn't believe it. Dr. Habermas had to address the class. Apparently, a number of students had come up to him and during lunch and had said, he needs to be removed from class. Darren needs to be kicked out of the program and out of the university um, because he must not believe in the resurrection and he must not, you know. Um, and Habermas had to calm them down and say, this is, an, you know, we're having an academic discussion and that's okay. So, Interesting. Very interesting. Darren M. Slade, looking forward to many more conversations. Um, Final words that you'd like to share as we wrap up this episode of the Influence Continuum. Dr. Hassan, thank you so much. And thank you for all the work and service you're doing. Uh, You're bringing a lot of healing to a broken world. So thank you for that. And thank you to listeners to listening to me babble on. Yeah, but seriously, you're a scholar. Read his writings. Go to the website. This is the real deal. And those books behind him, those are real books. <laughs> mine, mine are over there. But he's an he's a scholar, and he was a true believer who woke up and realized this is not legitimate in terms of my integrity, my conscience, my intellect. It's not holding water, um, and I want it to hold water. So thank you for your good work. Thank you for saying that. Pleasure. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books. Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new 9-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.